Ladies and gents, welcome to Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, brought to you by Funk27, Discontent Providers, and Global Butterflies, bringing trans and non-binary awareness to the business community. Go to globalbutterflies.com. <laughs> Yo, 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 ladies and gents, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments show, pod, thing, whatever this is. Uh, it's a movement, isn't it? It's, uh, it, I think it's a movement, but it's a cult, I think, isn't it? It's a community. That's what I'm saying, you know, content creation circles. It's a community, guys. Um, it's, 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 it's your dad's balls. That's what it is. Um, let's get into it. Uh, it's been a hell of a week. How are you guys? Are you good? What's up to the Patreons? What's up to uh, Kerry Dodd, Pete, uh, Tracy, Jeff, Mojo Sapiens in the house, Duke Vengeance, Tracy Birch? Quick doff of the cap to all of you. Uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Bit of a frog in my throat there. Mm. Cheers. Um, what's been happening this week? What's going on? Should we talk about the week's news? I meant to have a guest in tonight. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a special superstar, very secret superstar, special exclusive guest. Um, and uh, I thought I'd booked him for this evening. But actually, I had pre-agreed that we would pre-record it at lunchtime today because of his schedule. So I had to panic record it on my lunch break. Uh, so it's all done. It's all ready. It's there. I'm very happy with it. And the, uh, the individual in question was very charming, very interesting to speak to, speak with. Um, but uh, but I just didn't have time to edit it and get it out this evening. So um, so here we are. And also, I really wanted to do like a live show because I did a little bit of config uh, on the podcast admin setup stuff. And uh, hey, look at that. We've got we got a live chat link in here. I've got a little subscriber count. It's all getting very profesh around these parts. Um, so I thought I would... Uh, uh, I'd do a live show. I was excited about doing a live show, as indeed I am every week. Anyway, let's let's get into it. Uh, what's gone on this week? Um, uh, I mean, if you if you felt depressed at the end of last week, dear listeners, um, at the end of last week when satire went on furlough to wave through Boris Johnson, pretending that he would show up to fight Russia. Don't know if that one sort of missed you by. That was quite quite an eye-opener of a Daily Mail article. I can't believe they're paying him a million pounds a year to write this nonsense. I'd, I'd show up and fight for Russia. No, you wouldn't, Boris. You'd pour them all cocktails. That's what you would do. Um, so, yeah, that was the end of end of last week. If you thought you'd hit rock bottom at the end of last week with that, or, or indeed the Times piece, I don't know if you saw this, the Times piece, wondering why young people aren't getting married... Uh, anymore while you you know gawk at the price of butter <laughs> and and sob at the cost of your council tax shooting up again and this coterie of cocooned cunts these well-protected individuals from all of the havoc that they wreak and unleash upon all of us while they all go like but why why don't you want to pay 30 grand for a party. Why 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 are you not getting married anymore? You're sobbing into your butter. Maybe maybe you thought that was us hitting rock bottom, guys. That we had exhausted the terror, tomfoolery and tumult. Well I'm here to tell you, guys. Fear not. <laughs> Everything has gotten worse again this week. The barrel scraped lower once more, didn't it? Uh, let's just, should we remind ourselves, let's go through what's been achieved this week. Because remember, it is the government's responsibility to look after you and I. Sometimes this escapes people. It's the government's responsibility to, to look out for us, to govern in our interests, to improve society. So in that spirit, let's take a look back at what has been achieved this week. Um, so Brexit border controls uh, have just kicked in. 
That was a big one, wasn't it? Um, that means that your food, the cost of your food is going to go up again. <laughs> like it's just settled after the inflation, the effect of the natural gas shortage, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, the fact that it took ages to spin up the gas fields after the pandemic, spin up the oil production after the pandemic, took ages for that stuff to, it was just all settling. Like everything had spiked, but it wasn't getting more expensive after that. And now it will. <laughs> Once again. I mean, not all of it, right? Not all food will get more expensive again. Not every item uh, needs to go up in price by another 20%. It's just the three quarters of it. <laughs> that we bring in from the European Union. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll get lucky, guys. Maybe you're listening to this and you're, you're worrying, you're fretting about what's going to happen to your food shop. Maybe you'll be one of the lucky ones. Maybe all of your food items fit into that one quarter <laughs> that isn't imported from the EU. Maybe you'll just be lucky like that. But maybe you do all of your food shopping from Safeway in the 1960s. Maybe that's you. <laughs> you exclusively buy apples that were grown in Dorset and terrible northern ale and just great British bendy bananas, right? They're shaped right, your bananas. Not like these awful, you know, straightened EU bananas that Boris Johnson warned us about that never actually existed. They're shaped right. but. Uh, but grown in Lancashire or something, you know? And so because it's so cold and there's no light for most of the year, <laughs> they reach a grand total of like four centimetres in length and they rot within 40 minutes of pulling them off the tree. Or but they're British is the important part. They're British and just very slightly cheaper, maybe. But yes, rest, rest assured, dear listeners, um, that although I'm sure not every item of food on your list needs to go up by 20%. I'm also relatively sure that the producers of the remaining quarter of the items will also see this once again as an opportunity to shrinkflation the market. And so even the food that doesn't need to go up will also go up. Yes, looking on the, uh, on the bright side here, guys. I am your little ray of sunshine this Friday night. Drink with me. Um, you know... So sometimes I imagine like the the conversations that must take place in the big supermarkets, you know, between the buyers, the producers, you know, the junior admin assistant types, where they brief each other and they'll be like, you know, oh, did you did you see that Spanish tomatoes and courgettes and olives and apples, like all of it's gone up, it's gone up in price, it's really dear now. And then the CFO will be like, oh, right, well, you know, that's that's where the market's headed then, right, isn't it? So we may as well double the price of our coffee pods, right? <laughs> and then the guy will be like, what? Like, no, that's not, I mean, there's no reason to. Like, and people won't pay it, will they? If you double the price of coffee pods. People will begrudgingly accept that Brexit is costing them more in their weekly shop. And they will assume that this is that rather than that there's a sociopathic board of people in Tesco or Sainsbury's or whatever that are price gouging them, unnecessarily jacking up the price of products that are not even impacted by the EU or shipped from the EU. And then a junior buyer would be like, right, OK, well, I mean, if you're sure, if you're sure we can get away with it. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely we can. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's just the 50 percent of them that are willing to even notice that their shopping bill is going up, lad. You know, for a huge chunk of Britain, they'll stick their fingers in their ears and pretend that it isn't even happening. It isn't Brexit. Uh, their food shop isn't going up. They're just completely in denial. Brexit is amazing. And this is just down to, you know, their coffee pods are just getting more expensive because of, because of Ukraine <laughs> or the pandemic again or something. And the junior buyer will be like, right. OK, all right, well. Uh, CFO be like, just trust me, trust me, you know. And even if some of them do kick up a stink, you know, we can just shrink the packet down to 75% the size that it used to be. And we'll keep the price the same 
that whole shrinkflation thing, thereby increasing our profits for the smaller amount of product. So then we make 25% more anyway, you know? Nobody will ever notice. They're idiots. They're morons out there. Just shrink the packet. I don't know, man. It's enough to drive you fucking nutty, isn't it? Um, but do you ever wish there was a way, right? Dear listeners, do you ever wish there was a way that we could shrinkflation politicians and their gaslighting? <laughs> like, like, we'll pay you the same amount. We'll still pay you £86,000 a year, but you just get to talk 25% less shit all of the time. Like, you can have a week off every month. You've, you fucking earned it. Just speak a little bit more quiet. Like, I can't deal with another Andrea Leadsom interview. I just can't. So, yes, that's um, that's the Brexit border stuff kicking in. I suppose I should mention, by the way, like, so in, in putting the live chat thing into the uh into the podcast window here like there is an option and i don't expect patreon backers or youtube community members to do this you guys already back me and support me and the show and everything and i'm hugely grateful to you for that um but if you enjoy the show if you've tuned in for a few of them then maybe consider there should be like a little super thanks thing in there you could drop a little tip in the tip jar or you could do um what's it called graham always does them on labor social uh super chat you can Pop a little thing in and then I'll read out the question if there's something of particular interest to you that you would like to ask me and interrupt the show. Uh, then you can do that. It's a super chat and a super thanks, I believe, is the feature. And if you did do that, I would be super grateful. So there you go. Um, right. Where was I? Oh, right. So stories of the week. Big things. Big achievements. That was the thing, wasn't it, guys? That was the Brexit border kicking in. And I saw I saw a great tweet, actually. Um, I cannot remember who tweeted it now. Uh, maybe it was Femi, actually. Uh, or, or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I don't want to put like words in his mouth. Only a week after I've interviewed him and put words in his mouth. So, um, <laughs> uh, but somebody was like, they said, as it was an advisory referendum, right? Dot, dot, dot. And as I'm reading this and as I'm saying this to you guys, you're probably thinking, oh, he's going to say, well, it wasn't a real referendum. So, you know, we don't we, we can row back on it. But actually, this tweet was more interesting than that. It was a more unique. Uh, it said, as it was a, an advisory referendum and because nobody actually mentioned leaving the single market or the customs union until after the result came in, you know, nobody campaigned on leaving the single market. Everyone, that's something that started getting discussed afterwards when things got harder and harder Brexit and no deal Brexit. And, you know, and now, of course, it's graduated to, um, you know, dismissal of uh, the ECHR. Right. Um, but this tweet was like, you know, because nobody put that into the campaign, then actually we could rejoin the single market <laughs> and the customs union. And technically you wouldn't be reversing the referendum. And I was like, oh, that's clever. Oh, I love that. We should definitely rejoin the single market and then and even brag about it. Just go like, we're still adhering to the referendum, lads. I mean, I don't know what you're getting so upset about. You still won the referendum. Here's your flag. Off you go, lads. Um, so, yeah. Um, nobody, nobody did say anything about single market and the customs union until after the vote. That's something that seems to get sort of, you know, erased or muddied. Um, and then suddenly it became, you know, harder Brexit and a no deal Brexit, as I said. And now we're what, like a few years down the line and we're in a European war and talking about completely trashing the ECHR. So it's, you know, it's funny how these things crescendo over time, isn't it? How the goalposts change, perhaps more accurately. Um. Someone in the chats just said, uh, you know, because I was talking about like super chat and super thanks and stuff. Somebody's like, oh, so now you're advocating cash for questions, <laughs> which, yes, I am. I am. I don't approve of that when it's in Parliament, in the mother of all parliaments. But when it's a view to making this my full time gig and making this show a little bit more successful, I am a full advocate of that. 
Um, but yeah, like going back to the Brexit thing, man, like it never stops amazing me when I think back like of how far we've come or how far we've sort of tanked since that referendum, you know? Like it started, didn't it? Like the campaign around then, it started as like, look, it's not racist. I know some of them are talking about immigrants and numbers of immigrants and stuff, but it's not racist. It's actually all Brexit is. I know it sounds scary, but all it is, it's just a little tweak in our relationship with our European partners. It doesn't have to be scary, guys. It's just a little tweak. You know, we shake hands. We say, thanks, but no thanks. We're going out on our own. But yes, we're still in the single market, the customs union, blah, blah. And then you smash cut six years. And we got the same lot that we're on about Brexit now banging on about what the Rwanda policy. Like it started off as it's not racist. No, it doesn't have to be. And now they're like, ah, ship them off to Rwanda. Ship them off. We'll, we'll break international law. Absolutely. We will. We'll set fire to the ECHR. Now we've got the IMF warning us. Um, and still we're like, ah, it's just another load of experts. It's like it never stops. The crescendo just keeps getting worse. I don't know, man. Like Brexiters and institutions are so hilariously against each other, aren't they? Always. They cannot stand institutions. The old Brexiteers. It's just this sort of, you know, weird near-religious cult of people now is how I look at Brexiters, right? Who cannot let anything, any institution, any broadcast medium, any person or group of individuals, they cannot let anything speak ill of their precious project. And I know that's, you know, not hugely new to describe them as a sort of near-religious cult-like group of people but it is like still even now it's wild to me brexiters and institutions and it's basically any institution with an acronym isn't it i don't know if you guys have noticed that it's like you know it started with the eu it's the bbc too biased all the is the it's the remainer broadcasting corporation or whatever it's the imf now is the ECHR, like all of them, any sort of institution with an acronym is just the devil to them, to their religion, isn't it? If you've got an acronym and an opinion, this lot will round you up like your Nicolas Cage at the end of the Wicker Man. It's <laughs> just chanting referendum slogans at you as you get force-fed bees and set on fire in a giant... I don't even know what... Like, here's, here's a question for the people in the live chat. If it was the Wicker Man, if the Brexit cult suitably continued to crescendo, if it were to reach its natural end game, what would the Wicker Man structure be a sort of structure of? Like, it's a Wicker Man in the movie, right? But what would, the, what would it be a Wicker thing of if it was the Brexiters finally setting fire to, I don't know who it would be like, me, Super Tansky, Gary Lineker and Carol Vorderman, I suppose. <laughs> they would be like all shut in there with bees and like, what would that be a structure of? What is a representation of Remainerdom, for whatever word, uh, for want of a better word? Uh, answers in the chat. Um, and I'll, I'll get to them uh, in, in a short while. But that is where this is headed. It's like some sort of Wicker Man tribal cult-like religious ceremony. Um and anyway, so yes, Brexit, the Brexit border controls was that that was the first weird thing, non-achievement, uh, decline um, thing that happened this week. But what else took place? Let's let's move on to something else. We had the Tories changing the electoral process, guys, just before this next general election. How about that? Who saw that one coming? Who would have ever dreamed that the party in government who are on course to lose the general election quite spectacularly would try to move around the electoral components that are there to conduct a free and fair election? Who would the, who would have guessed that they would try to stack that deck in their favour? Oh. 
Um, I mean, they just they can't help themselves, can they? They can't help but get worse and worse. I, like, it, it almost feels bad, doesn't it? <laughs> like, I almost feel sorry for them. You know, it's like it's a condition and it just gets like it's terminal and it's regressive and they're deteriorating week by week, you know, until eventually they will just wither and rot into their final form, which is, you know, what? Like, it would be like a full blown oligarchy here in the UK. It would be like Russia, but just in the UK. That is basically where they want it to be, isn't it? Some would argue we're already there. In many respects, when you look at the policies that are actually popular with people and what actually makes it through to the legislative process, you can like statistically like match whether we are an oligarchy. And it would be really interesting to see if that if we have met that threshold yet. But yeah, so they've redrawn constituencies. That now will benefit them in the general election. I mean, it's not going to swing the election, but it's still insulting, isn't it? Right. They've outlawed voter ID, which is going to make it, you know, depending on how old your children are, you know, if they're, you know, 18 and upwards, it's going to make it harder for them to vote. And because young people tend to vote for more progressive parties, that's not in the Tories' interest. So they've made it progressively harder for your kids to exercise their democratic right to vote. But most concerning of all, guys, <laughs> was this proxy voting thing. Right. Which is where, you know, people who don't even live in the UK anymore, expats, as we refer to them. People who've moved abroad like 12, 13 years ago, they've got no address in the UK. They can still vote now in UK elections that they have zero stake in whatever the outcome is. They can still vote here. They can still vote by just telling someone who lives here to vouch for them and cast a vote for them. So in case you need this breaking down for you, and in case you missed my little paper review thing earlier in the week, what we are expected to believe now, or tolerate here, is that the Conservative Party of 2024 are so worried about electoral fraud that they've had to bring in voter ID to guard against it, but concurrently... They are encouraging people who don't even live in the UK to vote via a proxy, via a friend who just says they're voting on their behalf. Like, how is that secure when you say that what you're trying to guard against is voter fraud? Right. I mean, meanwhile, in the local elections last year, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there was about 10,000 people. Maybe it was slightly more. I can't remember the exact figure. Uh, it was about 10,000 people who couldn't vote in the local elections because of the voter ID thing. Like they turned up to the ballot box, turned up to their little parish hall or sports hall or whatever. They said, hey, I'm here to cast my vote. They were like, what ID have you got? They were like, oh, I've got this. And they go, nah. And then they go, oh, well, I live like, you know, an hour away from here. I can't, I can't get back. Like, and then I've got to pick up the kids. Like, are you seriously telling me I can't vote? 10,000 people that happened to. And hardly anyone votes in local elections. That's the wild thing. So how many people are going to miss out on their vote in the general election? Because this party want to guard against voter fraud. <laughs> against the backdrop of actual voter fraud when someone just goes, goes in and goes, yeah, I'm here to vote for Fred. <laughs> are you? Fred who? Oh, um, he, well, he used to live here. He used to live just down the road. Did he? I've lived here for like 50 years. I've, I've never heard of a Fred down here. Yeah, yeah, no, he, well, he definitely did. He, yeah, just on um, uh, Christie Lane over there. I, I've never heard of that. Right, where is that? Uh, it's, oh, it's uh, round the back somewhere. Right, okay, so Fred from Christie Close. You sure you're not defrauding the electoral? Yeah, no, no, it's totally, totally legit. Fred, Christie Close. Anyway, can I have uh, the ballot paper? All right. <laughs> That's where we're... That's where we're headed in our efforts to guard against voter fraud. Christ. So there was that. Um, we found, of course, that uh, the UK is still accepting refugees from Rwanda. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, 
we're still accepting refugees from Rwanda, even though we're legally telling people that Rwanda is definitely officially legally a safe country. While we're saying, yeah, we'll, we'll take you. It's fine. I know Rwanda's awful and loads of terrible stuff. You're going to get oppressed and persecuted, possibly murdered, possibly disappeared like the other bunch of refugees that disappeared without a trace. So, yeah, you can totally come here. We understand. We'll give you asylum seeker status. In you come. Meanwhile, but Rwanda is totally a safe country. Can we please ship off the next batch of 200? Like, absolutely ridiculous. How How is that... <laughs> How are these two policies? And they both exist within the Home Office. How is James Cleverly still in a job when he has to explain these two conflicting positions? Just contorted, weird, like a spherical hole you're trying to fit a triangular-shaped object in. You know? It's stuff like that that makes me think, maybe when he calls towns in the UK a shithole, you know, or he makes jokes about date rape jug, uh, drugs and his wife or whatever. Whatever the gaff is for this week. It makes me seriously wonder if that is the dead cat, you know, because here you have serious disjointed apparatus within the home office. And it's not going to work. And the Rwanda policy is not going to work. And over here, you've got him going, oh, it's a shit. Oh, it's a, you know, and now we're all talking about this thing, right? It makes me, well, I don't want to get all tinfoil hat with you guys, but it makes me wonder if there is some sort of method to that madness. Um, but yeah, so we had the Rwanda policy, um, or rather the uh, revelation that we are still accepting uh, refugees from Rwanda despite declaring it a uh, a legal officially totally totally legally safe country because we said it is uh what else god it's been a week hasn't it there's been so much going on i mean it's just i always say this but like the news cycle moves so quickly these days it's just like blinking you miss something or it all just gets muddied it all gets blurred into the nonsense and you know um oh of course the big story of the week has been this acid attack, hasn't it? Uh, this acid attack that took place. The reports, the first reports I saw were um, that it took place in Clapham. And then later on, I heard it re-described as like Lambeth. So I don't actually know where where it, it was confirmed as having taken place now, but... Um, but yeah, the, the acid attack, uh, which has been, you know, it's a horrific story. Absolutely horrendous. Um, and it first hit the headlines yesterday, right? And then there's some sort of further analysis and fact finding and stuff that's that's come out today. Um, and it's been really interesting. I, I talked about this uh, on this morning's paper review this morning, but I'll just sort of expand on it a little bit now. It's been really interesting to see the Tories and their cheerleaders in the right-wing press, and then the baton-grabbing bellends of the morning news shows, right? Because they take their cue from the newspapers, right? The Tories do something or don't do something or whatever, and then the newspapers give it a nice little gushing report, and then the morning news shows are like, oh, what did the mail say? Well, <laughs> off we go. We better go and run with that then. So it's been really interesting to see the newspapers and, and the morning shows magic this. This story, they've just magicked it into a story about evil asylum seekers. Like, I don't know if we have any... Have we got any magic fans in the house tonight? Maybe you're listening to this on your way into work on Monday, or maybe you're in the live chat right now. Is there any magic fans around? No? Yes? Maybe? I mean, I don't personally i don't personally love magic i'm not a huge fan you know not normally a massive you know vegas magician show kind of guy but this little trick did really impress me i don't know if you even would have noticed it necessarily uh the journopolitical sleight of hand that we've all just sat through over the last 24 hours 
But it was like, I'll talk you through it, right? So here we go, right? So the story bubbles up. And it's a story about a guy who threw acid onto this woman's face. And the acid also got onto her daughter and reportedly a few other people also. And it's a story about how an asylum seeker sex offender who probably should have been in jail or at least on probation was failed and how the victims of his attack were failed. All of them failed by just this sequence of institutions, right? <laughs> Every single one. Unfortunately, none of them have acronyms, so I don't think we can count on the support of Brexiters for this one, I guess. But, but it was like a domino rally of institutions failing one by one. You know, each one of them should have stood in the way of this lunatic burning the face off a child is basically what he's done. So first up, you've got the asylum system. You've got it. It's defunded. It's just been left to rot. It's been mocked, disparaged. It's overpacked. It's not managed properly. It's constantly under the, uh, attack by the government even and all of their cheerleaders and the right-wing press. It's massively overstretched. The backlog is horrendous. People are stuck in this sort of purgatorial, indefinite, stateless state, if you like. Then you've got the police and the judiciary who are also underfunded. Cut back to the bare bones of the police and the judiciary. I don't know if you've tried to report a crime recently or if you wondered where all the police are. Oh, there used to be more bobbies on the beat. Like, where, where are they all? Cuts. They've, <laughs> they're all gone. There's no police. Stretched thin. Try reporting a burglary in the greater London area. You will catch up pretty quick. Um... So you've got the police and judiciary, the asylum system, all of them underfunded, overstretched, cut back to the bare bones. You've got a guy who comes in on the back of a lorry. So I read, right? And he fails to claim asylum, but they don't kick him out. So it's a failure of the asylum process, then a failure of the police to arrest and charge him and convict him and jail him for the two counts of him being some sort of sex predator or attacker or something. They don't jail him, though. And so the dominoes keep going. The institutions keep failing. And then it hits the asylum system again, guys, who do grant it to him the third time. Third time lucky for him, because now he says he's a Christian. So he can't go back to Afghanistan. It's the Taliban. He'll be persecuted. So again, it's a sort of failure of the asylum system. He's getting battered back and forth. Asylum, police, judiciary, back to asylum again. Institution after institute. And then finally, after he's done the thing, he's on the run, right? They haven't apprehended him yet at time of recording. So currently we're witnessing a failure of the police to protect the public from further attacks, I guess. So, back and forth. All of these institutions fail. And I don't know if you noticed it, guys, but this was the magic trick because, like, it was a story effectively about quasi-institutional industrial failure, about government neglect, about austerity, wasn't it? All erupting at the same point and bubbling up at this one pinch point where it ruined a bunch of lives, right? Faces burnt off. A child with reportedly life-changing injuries now. Right. That was the story. Institutional failure, government neglect, austerity cuts and abracadabra, alakazam. It magicked into a story about leaving the ECHR. I don't know if you noticed that. It's incredibly clever. I didn't even see this sleight of hand. And I was watching it intently like the news junkie that I am just drinking in the chaos and depression. And even I missed it. Just fling magicked into a story about we've got to shut the doors on the asylum seekers. We should build 10 more Bibby Stockholms. We should ship every single one of them off to Rwanda and including all of the Home Office staff who failed this poor woman and her kid. And it, look, I get the anger. I do. But 
this story is not like it's this one over here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, bravo, lads. Like, I did. I mean, I knew that Tories were sociopathic. I knew that they loved business and loved money. I never had them down as professional magicians. But it's funny what you learn. The other angle, of course, that I saw with this. Uh, the other angle that caught my eye. Uh, was I saw a guy on BBC News this morning, right? Um, I think maybe, maybe some of you also saw, I don't know, uh, on BBC News this morning, uh, it was a Vox Pop. Uh, actually, it could have been Sky. Oh, I can't remember now. Um, and it was a guy in the street and he had a flat cap. He was an older gentleman. I'm going to say he was in his 60s, right? Uh, he had a flat cap and he had big sort of goggle, <laughs> goggle glasses. I don't want to be cruel, but um, but I'm, I'm so good at it, so I will be. Uh, so flat cap, big goggle, <laughs> goggle glasses. And it looks... It looked like they just caught him leaving the bookies to go into the British Legion. Sort of, he was like that sort of guy, right? Like he's just got tickets to Jim Davidson. And he's off on his way. Like it's that sort of, you know, exactly the sort of person I'm talking about. It's the sort of person that sings Roll Out the Barrel all night long when he's on holiday in like, you know, Costa del Sol every August. He's that guy. Oh, oh I saw this guy last year. Roll Out the Barrel, right? Yeah, OK, cool. Anyway, you get you get the idea. I'm painting a picture here for you guys. So, anyway, he's on the news Vox Pop thing, and uh, and they asked him if he felt safe in the neighbourhood. Right? <laughs> it's like it's such a loaded question, isn't it? Like, is anyone going to answer yes to that when there's when there's police cordoning tape in the background and sirens still going? You know, do you feel safe here? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Really? No, I don't feel saved, you fucking idiot. You can bike out of my face. So some, somebody's just been attacked with acid uh, just over there. You can probably still smell it. Uh, if, you can, if you can pick up a scent that's weaker than the tobacco that's stained into that moustache on your face. I, mean, I, I just wondered, I just, just wondered, sir, if we could just borrow you for a minute. Um, just an open-ended question, really. Just, just out of curiosity. It's not a loaded question at all. Just for my own curiosity. In the context of sulfuric acid disfiguring your neighbour over there, do you feel safe around here? Like, who, who is going to say, yes, it's probably a one-off, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's not, he's never going to say that. What value is there in that question? I mean, do you think it would be possible for someone to take that in their stride? You know? Do you think somebody could take that, like, the street that he was on, it looked a bit like a street I used to live on in Tooting. And about two minutes walk round the side, I might have talked about this before on the podcast, but um, uh, two minutes round the side, I saw in broad daylight a woman probably in her 40s then, I was in my 20s, and I saw a woman slightly overweight, although that's not really relevant, but slightly overweight, looked a bit dishevelled and she just pulled down her shorts or trousers or combats whatever they were and she took a shit in the middle of the street <laughs> i saw that with my own eyes and i couldn't even take that in my stride so i don't know how i feel about you know an acid attack anyway so um so yeah who's who's gonna take that in their stride an acid attack if you can find someone right in all of your Vox Pops, in all of combing and, you know, going through all the streets around Clapham or Lambeth or wherever the fuck it was that this happened. If you can find someone who has normalized acid attacks to such an extent that they can take one in their stride, you have found a sociopath. That's what you found for your morning segment. That's what the people on the street are saying about this. But yeah, he answered it. He did actually answer it. You know, I'm taking the piss here a little bit, as as I do. Uh, he answered it and he said no, obviously, uh, that he doesn't feel safe. Um, he said, he said, like, he expanded on it. Um, and he said it in a way, like, he was so predictable and perfectly cast 
for this role. Do you know what I mean? When you see a Vox Pop, you're like, oh, great, here we go. <laughs> like you, you absolutely judge the book by the cover. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to judge book by covers, but sometimes the illustrations are so good, guys. So good. He was perfectly cast for this role. He knew his lines from the get-go. His flat cap, goggle glasses, big fat tash, proper British. Absolutely zero probability that his name was anything other than John. So John clears his throat, right? They ask him, do you feel safe around here? He clears his throat. Perfectly cast for this performance. He's learned his lines and he goes, he says this. Well, I just think that this is what happens when you don't control the borders. Take a wild guess what paper he reads. Um, he says, this is just what happens when you don't control the borders. He says, you get foreigners coming in and they don't have the same values. That's what he says. He goes, they got different values to us. That's like how, how the interview, how the Vox Pop slammed shut. I think this is what, this is what you get when you don't control the borders. You get foreigners coming in and they've just got different values to us, right? And I'm like, I'm watching, I'm just screaming at the TV at this because I am that guy now. That's me. You know, I used to be chilled, guys. I used to be pretty relaxed, laid back. Like I'd see to my kids in the morning, you know, I'd be making them breakfast. I'd be packing their lunch boxes for the day. I'd be getting them dressed. Nowadays... The three-year-old is walking around in a soiled nappy while the seven-year-old cries about it. And I'm just over here screaming in the television about, you know, Tories and fake news. and Anyway, so I'm screaming at the TV at this fucking idiot. And, uh, you know, they, they obviously don't have the same values to us, you know, and all that. Um, and I'm screaming at it because like, I get the fear. I understand the fear, dear listeners. Like, I get that it's scary. Um... And, you know, God knows, but like when I first heard this story, I was like, oh, fucking wow. That is that is horrendous, you know, and it is like it is horrendous. But a it's a story about home, the home office and poor government. Right. It's about shit government. This story. It's the Tories who should be answering for this. But they're so happy, aren't they? Like This is just as a little side note. They're so happy to take one or two bad refugees and stretch that out across the whole asylum system, you know, as a means to leave the ECHR, which is basically what they want to do anyway, to trash your employment rights. Now, that's, just, that's where this is all headed, is leave the ECHR and then they can make you work at a sweatshop and make their billionaire golf club friends even richer. That's all this is. That is your future. And yet, the thing about like taking one or two bad ones and stretching it out all across, then you look back at the institution of the actual Conservative Party, like that is successive, uh, successively and always, throughout, forever, it is always piss poor, <laughs> the whole institution, all of the Conservative Party, piss poor, terrible at government, cruel, sociopathic and completely inept. And yet when the whole thing is like that, they're like, well, you know, maybe there's a couple of bad apples here and there, but, but for the most part, we're okay, you know? The what the bad appleness or bad appleism is a really interesting exercise when you're observing conservatives, I think. So A, it's a story about the Home Office and Tories. But also B, right, this is I think this is more interesting. B it's a story about like this guy came from Afghanistan, right? And yes, it appears that he threw acid over a woman and her daughter and maybe a few others got caught up in it. And yes, that is disgusting. But do you know where the world's capital of acid throwing is? Take a take a guess, guys. Do you know where it does any more like more acid throwing than anywhere else? In the entire world. The world capital of acid throwing. It's, it's fucking Britain. <laughs> what do you do that? It's the United Kingdom. Britons do acid throwing. It's basically, we just do, we do cups of tea. We do football and, and fucking that. That's what, like, so I don't want to get too dark and too cynical about this. 
But, you know, you could kind of make the case that he settled in quite well. <laughs> I mean, like, if it's a conversation about, you know, uh, they've got different values to us and there's different culture or so, all I'm saying is that if he's living in the world capital of acid attacks, it appears he's, ad he's adapted. All right. Oh, okay. Right. Let's, let's move on. Um, let's get on to this week's tap dancing tosser award shall we people um that's why we're all here i think it's uh, a, a much coveted award i think every week with previous uh, recipients previous winners have included uh, johnny mercer sean bailey uh liz jones from the daily mail um i don't dish it out to just anyone all right you have to really earn the tap dancing tosser award you have to have performed your cretiny to such an extent that people like me just sit back and go oh wow that is that is, i mean i've never i don't think i've ever seen someone illustrate the need for themselves to be put to sleep quite like this this is yeah bravo excellent work so um uh so yes this week's tap dancing tosser award guys let's do it um, so the nominees are this week, I've prepared some actual nominees for you. Um, earlier in the week, on s late Saturday night, Sunday, uh, we had jo Boris Johnson pretending that he would sign up to fight Russians rather than party with them. Uh, we had Rishi Sunak. I don't know if you saw the Huff Post piece, right? Where he's sort of, I think it was published yesterday, sort of grinning. <laughs> like painfully <laughs> you know like one of those scenes in peep show where like mark or jez you know they're told to smile for the camera and it's like you can see the pain behind the smile <laughs> it's like is that it's in the huffington post go and seek it out if you haven't seen it um there's pain behind the smile and there's beauty in that for people with dark cruel hearts like myself and the headline anyway as he's got this sort of pain you know like tortured <laughs> smile on his face the headline is Rishi Sunak, absolutely confident he will win the next election. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I, there's so much to love about it. There's so, like, it, he's absolutely earned the right to be a nominee, at least, for a tap dancing tosser award. Because it's like, you know, they claim that the left, endlessly they claim that the left are, uh, you know, utopian fantasists, aren't we? with our magic money trees and, oh, I'd love to give you free university. I would, but, oh, it just can't... You know, utopian fantasies of lefties, right? But where does that rank in terms of delusional psychosis, you know? That the party that's been 20 points down for over two years now, that the head of that is like, yep, yep, steady as she goes, lads. Don't, don't fuck it up now. We've almost nailed it, you know? Absolutely delusional. Rishi Sunak. Absolutely confident that he'll win the next election. Which is weird, right? Because I, I am absolutely confident that they're going to be getting slung out of office and I'll be pilling my nuts off listening to a drummer bass remix of D-Ream until 4am that night. So, yes, <laughs> absolutely confident. Then our second nominee comes dancing through the door with bashing cymbals, uh, Julia Hartley Brewer, guys. Who, given the options of inhabiting reality herself, right? again with the delusion, the Tory delusion, the fantasists and stuff, given the option of inhabiting reality herself, decided this week on the anniversary of Brexit, to ignore the food panic, the near certainty of soaring food prices, the total absence of any upsides that we can see thus far, uh, the polls that say even committed Brexiters who thought it could be done, that the different variations of Brexit were somehow compatible, even those guys now think that it was a silly idea and there's no benefits and it's made their lives worse. Given the options of acknowledging that reality or perpetuating the 
quote from her tweet. Tediously obsessive Ramona's talk. Suggesting Ramona's had lost a battle years ago when everything around us, it's not so much losing a bet, like we've been proven right again and again and again. <laughs> everything around us validates us and those warnings back in the day. Anyway, given those two options, she went for the latter. Um, that's very much tap dancing, tosser territory, because it's a real, you know, it's a real performance. It's performing your cretiny for all to see. But no, these people, these people are but bit parts on the stage of Tossedom uh, this week. Because this week belongs, inarguably, to failed actor, failed husband, failed singer, failed politician, and now failed legal claimant, I want to say. Is that the... <laughs> Is that the right word? When you try to sue somebody and get money out of them, you're making a claim on them. But anyway, he's failed at that. Anyway, Lawrence Fox. Yes, Lawrence Fox's high court case in which he was suing people for them having called him a racist. Like he, he claimed it was the reason that he, uh, like the workers, an actor had dried up and he cited possible roles in the hugely popular HBO series called Succession. Um... He said that that was being sort of touted and offered. He was being asked to audition for these things. But as Marina Hyde pointed out in The Guardian the other night, the production staff of Succession, <laughs> the guys who actually run it and write for it, they had said something along the lines of, like, I think she quoted it, and I think she was like, yeah, his name did come up in production, but only in the writer's room. <laughs> and it wasn't really about hiring him as an actor. It was just more of a... You know, like, like she didn't say anything more than that. She didn't elaborate on that. But I fucking love the suggestiveness of it. You know, the snark off that. Like, your name did come up. It did. But I don't think you want me to elaborate on, on what... It's a bit like if somebody came up to you and... I told my therapist about you. <laughs> I tell, Sometimes I talk to my therapist about you. Like, would you want to know why? Would you, like, peel that onion? I don't know if you would. Like, I'm intrigued, but let's let's not expand on that at all. Um, so he loses his case, guys. Then he stands outside the court and he gives a long, rambling monologue. Which, you know, gave a little clue as to why perhaps he hadn't been successful in many auditions of late. Um, his monologue, his uh, diatribe, if you like... It was basically about, like, that the court couldn't define what a racist is. They couldn't define what that word was. So how are they in any position to decide if it is defamatory or if he has been defamed or not? That was his angle that he was going for. Um, unfortunately, he was somewhat coloured by, no pun intended, some of his other language and performances within the courtroom, by all accounts, reportedly, allegedly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've read any of the coverage of it, but um, it's, uh, I mean, like, it basically, it sort of suggested, um, it, it sort of pushed him into this bracket of people that I sometimes observe, I sometimes talk about, where they fundamentally misunderstand the nature of bullying and like social or political dynamics right like some of the coverage that i read um and i don't know if it's from the case itself or if it was just some you know insufferable reactionary blogger then talking about it or, or or whatever but um it was something along the lines of like how come you can shorten russian to rusky how come you can shorten american to yank or scottish to scott british to brit but you can't shorten Pakistani to right now, now I'm not going to say it because I understand the difference between these terms but I understand and respect the awful fucking history of certain terms that have found themselves into the English vernacular right but it's like how how is somebody like Lawrence Fox how is he not understanding that how has nobody explained that? Is he too stupid to understand it? Does he just fundamentally disagree with it? On what basis? You know, how can you not understand the power dynamic and the stink of the racist history of that word? 
And that's why it's different. Right? Because why, like, why on earth would you want to say a word like that that is so drenched in prejudice and violence? Like, you know, there's only one reason. There's only one reason that you would bother saying that word or even try to make the case for saying that word. So there was all of that, you know, there was this court case, he lost it, he did his little speech outside. And then he's filming himself in a taxi. I don't know if you saw this. Um, he's saying, you know, I can't believe the hostility. I'm, I'm scared for my life. You know, I've had two separate people coming up to me today and they've been really, really hostile. And I, I don't like, you know, complaining about it. And I don't want to get all victim blamey about this um, because there are people on the right of the political sphere where, when they talk about being abused or shouted at or heckled or whatever, I'm like, oh, come on, you know, that's not on. But with somebody like Lawrence Fox, <laughs> you know, or somebody who's voted down free school kids meals or somebody who has been on record as being racist and then they get milkshaked or whatever. There's always a small or large part of me that's just like, if you don't want to get treated shitly, stop doing and saying shit things. You know, if you vote down free school meals for kids, for hungry kids, and you vote down pay rises for nurses, don't be surprised if people walk up to you in the street and go, you're a fucking cunt. Do you know that? <laughs> oh, I can't believe where all this hostilities come from. Really? Can you really not, though? Is it totally outside of your imagination? And then finally, guys, finally, um, there was footage. I don't know if you saw this. Um, you know, I mean, he's really outdone himself this week. He's earned this award. There's footage of a guy riding the horse statue thing in, I think it was Piccadilly Circus. And everyone on Twitter was like, oh my God, Lawrence Fox has completely lost it. He needs an intervention. Where's his family? They need to rally around him. You know, Lawrence Fox has, has uh, he's climbed up this statue. He's mad. He's on the top. He's just like swinging his dick like, and even though it turned out to not be him. <laughs> I think the fact that we were all so ready to believe that it was him is equally damning of Lawrence Fox. Like, he's earned the right to be judged for things he didn't even fucking do. That is where Lawrence Fox is, and that's why he's won this week's Tap Dancing Tosser Award. Take a bow, Larry. You Tap Dancing Tosser, you. Uh, actually, I've got a little uh, jingle here. Here we go. There we go. How about that? Do you like that? That's that's what I'm doing in my downtime right now. Just creating jingles and trying to make this thing look a little bit more profesh. Let's go back through the chat. Say hello to some people. Let's see if we get do we get any suggestions for what that Wicker Man structure should be when the cult of Brexit finally reaches its end game and people like me are round up and force fed bees and set on fire um let's uh let's scroll up um so uh lots of people saying hello mojo is saying face palm um he says his council tax went down last year um i don't know where you live mojo but i'm hugely jealous um uh tracy birch says cost of living crisis is code for recession yep that's true um this is the thing that always gets me with the cost of living crisis is the way that it's presented as though it's some sort of ad hoc strange event. It's like, oh, things are getting more expensive and people are really struggling. They're struggling to afford the cost of just existing. The cost of living crisis. Very, very few media outlets or newspapers ever scratch beneath the surface and go, yeah, it's because natural gas is really expensive now and there's a scarcity of fossil fuels. And this, if we don't find some soon or we don't transition to renewables, we really are in the shit. <laughs> like, that's the conversation we need to have. But instead, it's like, ah, a bottle of ketchup is uh, $4.90 now. Can you believe it? Anyway, over to Gary with the weather. Like, <laughs> what? Is that it? Is that how how deep you delved? Oh, okay, wonderful. Um, Mojo says, uh, incidentally, I recently had another listen to Everything is Fucked. Drink with me, and I really like it. Aid's got a really good rap voice. It's well-written and very well put together. Thank you, Mojo. 
Um, it's uh, yeah, it took me a while to make it, and I was really self conscious of putting that out because I used to love, I still do love uh, my music and and hip hop and uh, and grunge and punk rock and everything. Um, but sometimes I feel like you know I'm a piss taker. I'm a white guy from the home counties, and I don't know if what hip hop really needs in 2024 <laughs> is a middle class white guy with two kids who works in IT in his three bed semi in Hampshire contributing to the rap universe. Do you know what I mean? So, but it seemed to go down quite well. So that's nice. Uh, Christine Cash says, Good afternoon from Atlanta. Hey, Christine, how are you doing? Uh, Cycletricity, hey, man, how are you doing? Lots of lots of YouTube community members and Patreons in tonight. Um, Cycletricity says even Audi and Little is getting expensive. Uh, always good for an angle grinder and four man tent though. Yes, mate. Yeah, I always look at like these shops as though there are little like little loss leaders in there that you can get and get a great deal on. Right, like a can of beans is still like twelve pence in like Tesco or like ASDA or whatever. So you could live off that if you really need it. I'm not saying you should. Um, but if you if you if you shopped around, if you got like beans from there and then the bread that's cheap in Audi and then, the, you know, it could maybe you could save some money. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I'm not fucking Martin Lewis. All right. Let's move on. Um, uh, let's move on. Uh, so uh, Louis Darby said, so you're adv advocating cash for questions. Yes, I am. Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, Duke Vengeance says, made myself some scrambled egg eggs on toast. Well, there you go. Uh, from Audi or Lidl? Um, Louise Darby then says, is there any doubt that we are in an oligarchy? Well, that's interesting because there was a story years ago. This is about 15 years ago now about America and that it had been formally classed as a oligarchy. Uh, and I think it was Obama was in office then. And he was like, no, no, the United States. Oh, it's a great democracy, greatest democracy in the world. And <clears throat> I remember thinking that's really dismissive um, and really arrogant and ignorant. Uh, and now, you know, we're a bit further down the line. I don't think the UK was that bad then. But now I'm like, yeah, like we're basically there. You could take progressive policies that most people would like to see realised. And what are the chances of those policies actually making it through into the law books? Like, it's just... It, it won't happen. Like most people would like, I reckon, proportional representation. Most people would probably agree that there should be some sort of press regulation, that it should be less vindictive in tabloid culture. But I don't think you're going to see any of that stuff implemented. Most people really, really support the NHS. Um, but again, you're seeing it just cut and slashed and cut again. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see the outcome of um, uh, of a study um, into that. Uh, let's move on. Um, do you know what? I don't think I've seen any suggestions yet of the uh, of the Wicker Man thing. This is disappointing, guys. Um, although, it's, do you know what? It's a hard question because there's no like one singular face or human that you could associate with the Remainer movement in the same way that with the Brexit movement, you would obviously think of Nigel Farage or Boris Johnson lying in front of the bus. With Remain, it's like, well, David Cameron was the PM at the time, but he didn't, there was no face for Remain. And maybe that was part of its problem. I don't know. I mean, a huge part of its problem was obviously that there wasn't a positive case. You know, it was all about fear, stoking fear of what would happen if we did leave, rather than making a positive, excitable case for what continued membership of the, of the EU might look like. Um... Duke Vengeance says, uh, oh, I just, sorry, just updated there. Duke Vengeance said, uh, to be fair, I would never have guessed Lawrence Fox because I've just been ignoring the mad sod <laughs> for, for the Tuck Dancing Toss reward. Yeah, it's, well, the reason that I've given it to him is because he's had such a mad week. Like, it's been insane from start to finish for him. And it's not even over yet. He's still suing that Mukhtar guy. Off Twitter because Mukhtar, I forget his surname now, Mukhtar called him a racist and Lawrence Fox then threatened him over DM and said, I'm going to give you a chance now to withdraw what you've said and just apologise publicly. I don't want to sue you, but I will sue you if you don't retract this and apologise. And so then he said, go suck your mum. <laughs> and this thing dragged out and dragged out. And, dragged out. 
And anyway, it's still going to happen. Like, it's, I, I'm not sure when the actual court date is or if it's maybe Lawrence Fox will bail out now for, like, court cost reasons. Um, but it's not. I mean, it'll be so funny. Like, I was saying this the other day on Twitter. It'd be so funny if the outcomes of these court cases end up in a situation where Lawrence Fox can't sue people for calling him a racist. And then when he tries to sue someone else for calling him a racist on both occasions, the court are just like, yeah, no, it's like they called you a racist because you've exhibited racist behavior, Lawrence. So that's fine. And you can't call these people. He called three people pedophiles or something, didn't he? He called like that's what he got sued for. So he's in the can for hundreds of thousands of pounds for calling them pedophiles. But he can't sue, counter sue. For, anyway, you get the idea. Um, and it's it's not over yet. It's still going on. And I cannot wait for the outcome of that one. Um, uh, anyway, guys, that's it from me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, do make sure that you're liked and subscribed and all the other stuff that people say at the end of shows like this. I'll be back next week with another um, solo one. I've got my banked... Um, uh, guested show that was going to originally go out tonight. That'll be out next week as well. Everything goes out to Patreons and YouTube community members first for two days before it ends up to everyone else on like Spotify, Apple and regular YouTube. Um, and yeah, there's, there's loads of other stuff on yeah YouTube and Patreon. You can see the benefits and stuff there if you would like to. Uh, until next time, take care of yourselves. Keep it strictly hashtag Binfluencer. And we are out this motherfucker! Oh, 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 o